Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, three weeks ago, we began a series called Life Choices. We've been kind of diving into the book of Proverbs, trying to figure out what does it say for us who are living in 2020. If you did not know that this book was written 3,000 years ago, you'd be convinced it was written this past summer. That's how practical the book is. That's how it deals with like uh, day-to-day living. And when it comes to choices, you know we face choices uh, every day, right? Uh, Do we go in this direction with my life? Am I going to head in that direction? Oh my goodness, that seems so uncertain if I go that way and I don't know what that road's going to lead to. We just have choices. And we make hundreds of choices every day. I happen to notice this online. Uh, someone had on their front yard the different choices of people you could vote for. There's not one duplicate on that. There's like 70 choices of people that uh, you could uh, vote for. Now, I do realize that all the choices you make in a day doesn't alter your life. Like if you, you know, if you have a notification that goes off in your phone, you make a decision, am I going to ignore it and, and deal with it later or will I you know, deal with it now? Um, maybe uh, you're trying to decide whether I should go through the drive through at Taco Bell or Wendy's. Or, you know, maybe um, you see a Facebook post that you don't like. Am I going to comment on it or will I just scroll by? I mean, some of those choices don't necessarily change your life. But then there are other choices in life that have a little bit more weight um, to them. Maybe, um, will I compromise my integrity to make that deal work. Um, you know, my marriage has hit a roadblock. Do I want to just walk away from it or do I want to work through some of its difficulties? I'm up late at night and I'm on the internet. Do I want to look at this stuff or resist the temptation? Some of those decisions can actually really have some major impact. In your life, I like what John Maxwell says. And here it says, Life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. Because the choices you make often will determine the direction of your life, which way you're going to find yourself uh, moving along. Life choices, lots of them, and you make them every day of your life. You know, maybe you're trying to figure out. Um, do, we, do we sell our home? Do we downsize? Is it the right time to, um, to retire? Should I invest in that company? Uh, should I encourage my aging parents maybe to, to move into assistant living? Should I drop that ca- uh, class? Should I, should I cut my losses? Don't you just wish that sometimes you could be the person, you know exactly what needs to be done, we're going to do it this way. You make the decision. And you know it's the right decision. Well, the Bible says actually we can do something even better. There's a better way than even how David Lilly could make decisions. We can know what to do always, not just in a crisis. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, a paper Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible and turn right. You usually open up the Psalms. If you've got an electronic version, then just swipe over to the book of Proverbs this morning. We're going to try to answer this question. How do you know what to do when you don't know what to do? A lot of us have those kind of 
questions, right? Like, okay, you're faced with a choice. I don't even know which way to go. Do I go that way? Do I go this way? They both seem so uncertain. So how do you know? How do you know what to do when you really don't know what to do? Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Now, in this verse, there are three statements that are being made and one result. Three statements and a result. So the first statement, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You can just put a period on that. That's statement number one, trust in the Lord. The second statement that is made is, do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Statement number two. Statement number three is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. So we're told to trust in the Lord, don't lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways, acknowledge him. You would think that if we have these three things, what we would, the next part would be, and he'll make your life easy. That seems sensible. You trust in the Lord, you acknowledge him, and you give all your ways to him, right? Like that makes sense. Hey, you want to go, I'll sign up for that. I'll put my name on the dotted line, an easy life. But that's not what it says. It says, the result is, and he will make straight your paths. You know, sometimes when I read that verse, trust in the Lord, um, and lean out on his understanding, I think it's significant, actually, the way this is put, that the first thing mentioned is to trust in the Lord. Because here's the tendency, I think, the first thing normally for us is lean on our own understanding. That's the first thing. We, we like to lean on our own understanding, and if plan A doesn't work, then we go to plan B. So I think it's actually significant that Solomon wrote trust in the Lord first. And the question is, what do I trust him with what? What am I supposed to trust the Lord with? Like, trust him with what? Well, we're told, right? Trust him with your heart and trust him with all your ways. So then my question is, what does it actually mean to trust God? Like, what does it actually mean? I'm not talking about you believe in God. I'm talking about what does it actually mean to trust God. These are two words, two one-syllable words, easy to say. They roll off our tongue so easily, and we've said them hundreds of times, and we usually tell it to people maybe who are struggling, going through a hard time, we'll say, hey, just trust God. But what I'm discovering as time passes by, those are difficult words to live by. I find it much easier to say trust God than to live trusting God. See, life would be so much easier if we could just see everything. It'd be so much easier if we could actually trace the hand of God, then we know exactly what he's doing. If we just knew his timing, it would make it so much better. But that's not often how he 
works. I think of Abraham. You know, when God asked Abraham to sacrifice your son Isaac, you can imagine the sleepless nights. What? If God had just simply said to uh, Abraham, listen, you're going to sacrifice your son, but the next day I'm going to resurrect him from the dead. Well, then you think, okay, I see that there's light at the end of the tunnel, and you could go ahead and do that. But it's the unknown. You want me to trust you with what? I think in our, in our present day, wouldn't it be good to know when the coronavirus is going to be gone? Like if it was going to, be, if it was going to last to February of next year, we could go, okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Four more months. I'm hanging in there. It will be gone. Wouldn't it be nice to know if it's going to be hanging around for the rest of our life? Because I'm like, okay, we've got to make some choices here. Kind of wish that we knew, but God doesn't often work that way. So, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding it's easy to trust something isn't it it's easy to trust something when you can actually see it like when something's being unfolded right before your very eyes you can go okay I can trust God with that I, I think of Thomas all the time I mean you think of the disciples I mean they for three years they 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 traveled they walked with Jesus they lodged with Jesus they ate with Jesus they did ministry together for three years side by side and Jesus resurrects from the grave and Thomas doesn't believe it unless I see it I'm not believing it I mean, here's one of Jesus' disciples had a hard time to believe. Wouldn't it be so good if God would just give us a little peek so we know what the end would look like? But most times, we can't always trace the hand of God and see exactly what he is doing. Somehow God expects us to exercise our faith in him. The reason we don't trust God is not because we, know, because we don't know what he's up to in our lives. I mean, it's hard when we don't know what he's doing. It's, so we don't trust him because we know. We trust him because we know who he is. Um, we don't trust him because we know everything. Uh, dis- we trust him despite the fact that we don't have any idea what he's doing, his plans, or his timing. We just trust him because he's faithful. We trust him knowing that our future is secure. We don't trust him because we understand all of our circumstances and that they're favorable. No, we trust him because he's our father. I think of Rahab. I mean, here's a woman who committed treason. Okay, think about that. She committed treason. She's hit some spies from the army outside of the walls of Jericho. They're getting ready to take down those walls. And some spies come in. She hides them. And she's told, you hide us and we'll spare your life. And she waits. How does she know that's going to really happen? What about Joseph sitting in a prison for years? If God had told Joseph, listen, Joseph, you're going to be in prison for 10 years, but when you come out, man, you're going to be the second most powerful man in the world. You'll be the second most powerful of the Egyptian empire, which dominated the world at the time. If you knew that, it would be a long 10 years, but at least you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. But he didn't know that. And he's expected to trust God while he sits in prison? Sometimes I think that 
is a struggle maybe for some believers. Yes, I believe God, but I don't know if I can trust you with my life. If that's a choice for other people, that's fine. But I don't know if I'm really there yet that I could actually trust you uh, with my life. So what does it actually mean to trust God? What does it actually mean to trust God when your home goes up in flames and you lose every earthly possession you own? What does it mean to trust God? What does it mean to trust God when your spouse gets diagnosed with an illness and though it was uh, diagnosed early, a year later she, they die. They can't cure. What does that mean to trust God? at that moment. What does it mean to trust God when the losses are so painful? One of my favorite, all-time favorite radio preachers, I've been listening to him for 30 years, and that's Chuck Swindoll. I, I just love the guy. I mean, he's, he's in his 80s, still love listening to him speaking. About, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, he happened to be speaking on trusting God, and he said, we as Christians, we, we struggle the trust in God. He says, one of the reasons we struggle is because we're so self-sufficient. <laughs> We've gotten ourselves out of jams before. We're going to be able to do it again. And so we're self-sufficient. We don't really need to trust God. So therefore, it's a struggle because we're pretty self-sufficient. Uh, he mentioned another reason that we struggle is because we can, we're so quick to call on others. We got, we got connections we got people who are more educated, more resourced, more life experience, and so that's who we call on. And sometimes we struggle to trust God because, honestly, he just feels too far away. Like, he's so removed, it's hard to trust him. I'm always reminded of those words that Job said. He lost everything, everything. And he says, though he slay me, I will trust him. I'm like, oh, how does a person get to that point? Though he take my life, I will trust him. We've cultivated a bad habit of worry. And the thing is, I don't really know. I don't know. Maybe you can share with me later. But I don't know if you ever actually um, grow out of this struggle of trusting I don't know. I think it's something we always will deal with because it's part of our flesh. I, I don't know if we actually ever conquer it. This idea of, of trusting God. Now I know um, some of you here this morning, you have some large bouts of cynicism. You're like, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. I'm not trying that again. Because you, you based it you know, on your circumstances, what's happening around you. And you've made a choice. Yeah, I'm not going down that path anymore. And one of the things I'm learning, I know for me, that I have choices to make. And when circumstances and things happen in my life that are so uncomfortable and painful, I have a choice. The choice is, am I going to let that break me? Is it going to break my faith? Or am I going to lose that as an opportunity to build my faith? We're talking just real life stuff, people. 
right? And the thing is, none of us are immune. Not one of us here are immune of real life stuff. So what do you do when it's you? What do you do when it's you? In 1 Samuel chapter 30, there's this true story that's recorded for us um, about King David. He's not king yet. In fact, he's running for his life. And uh, he has about 600 men that are following him. He kind of has his own militia. And for about a year now, in chapter 30, we, we discover that he's actually living amongst the Philistines. And he's actually going to fight for them. And so they're getting ready to go to war. And Achish, which is one of the leaders, has really grown to appreciate David. And he goes, they're getting ready to go to war, and the commanders of the Philistine army say to Achish, you can't bring him, you can't bring David, he's a Hebrew. There's 600 of them, you you don't know if he's going to turn his back on us. And Achish kind of defends David, he says, no, 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 he's proven himself, I've been with him a year, he's loyal, you can trust this man. They got angry at Achish, and they told, you tell David and his men to go back home. So Achish goes to David and he says, um, they've asked me to send you home. David says, well, what have I done? Haven't I proven myself to be a very faithful servant to you? He says, you've done more than that. In fact, the, the, the translation is that says, you're like an angel from God to me. But he sends them back home. And so they have this three-day trip back to Ziglag. David and his 600 men. And from a distance, they can see his town smoldering from ashes the entire town has been burnt to the ground and of course when they finally arrive there there's not there's not a wife or a child nobody is there and it actually says that David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to They were exhausted, three days, um, hot, sweaty, exhausted, and they get to their hometown, and everything's been taken. I mean, these are warriors. These These are like rugged men. It says they wept until they had nothing left to weep. And then conversation starts happening. Let's stone David. He's the leader. They start pointing fingers. David, how could you allow us to leave our families unprotected? You should know better. You're the leader. And so all this is happening. You can imagine David himself is stressed. He's depressed. His wife's missing. His children are missing as well. And yet they begin to point fingers at him. Which I was reminded again. There will sometimes be people Maybe some of your friends one day that could even turn their back on you. Which is what is happening for David. These are men that he's traveled with. I mean, they're like, they're like molasses. They have done this together. Maybe someday somebody will put a bullseye on your back or in your chest. So here's David, broken, a mess. His family is missing. And you expect me to trust God with that? So as I was continuing to read the story, in verse 6 it said, David strengthened himself in the Lord. 
you realize he's lost everything. He doesn't know where his wife is. He doesn't know where the kids are. And it says David strengthened himself in the Lord. Well, how in the world is someone expected to do that in the middle of all uh, that is happening? How do you trust? I'm reminded of that story. Remember in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, the man who has a, a, a teenage boy who he has a seizures all the time. He's demon-possessed. And the father comes to Jesus. My son, he falls in the fire. He's falling in the water. I'm afraid he's going to drown. I'm afraid he's going to burn to death. I think you can do something about it. And Jesus says, you think I can do something about it? He says, Jesus, well, it's possible. Anything is possible if you believe. And the man says, I do believe, but... I'm struggling, help me in my unbelief. I do believe, but I'm really struggling to really trust you that you could do this. Help me in my unbelief. It's one thing to say, trust in the Lord. It's completely different to actually live it out. So I want to encourage you as parents, grandparents, teenagers, college students, I want to encourage you to do what David did. Start spending some time with the Lord because here's what I know. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. And so I want to encourage you to get to know who he is. In fact, I want to encourage you to, right now to begin, a, to begin to think of ways that you could trust God regardless of what's happening around you. How could I trust you in the middle of this or, or that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. I put this in a different translation. It's a New Living Translation. I like how it ends because we always are making choices. We're always trying to figure out this way, that way, where do I go? And then it says, seek his will with all that you do and he will show you what path to take. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.